You're listening to Top Traders Unplugged, episode number 008, where I continue my conversation with Martin Estlander, founder and CEO of Estlander and Partners. This episode is sponsored by Saxo Bank and Swiss Financial Services. Welcome back to Top Traders Unplugged, where the best traders in the world come to share their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Let's rejoin the conversation with your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup Larsen. Another topic I wanted to uh, touch upon is is risk management, and I wanted to start by asking you a little bit about how you define risk. You know, what does risk really mean to you, um, and and then how you go about dealing with it and 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 managing the risk in terms of whatever target you have. Yeah, sure. Well, I think I think um, you know uh, the risk management approach that we run is sort of divided into two pieces, and uh, it all dates back to when we trading options in the beginning, and we had very little equity, and we were required by the exchange to make markets in all all series, and from time to time we had to put on take on much bigger positions than we were than, than what was sensible for. <laughs> For our little little equity pile, sure, and, uh, and uh, that led to a philosophy where we really sort of look at everything from the worst case scenario, continuously sort of making sure that we can survive to the next trading day, and never put on more risk than we're comfortable in in holding, and uh, and uh, that means both market risk but also operational risk. So you have to be extremely careful with how you operate and how you make sure that you have backups and integrity checks for everything you do so that you don't fail operationally. So that's something that our risk manager looks at continuously during the day that all all the aspects of the process are running smoothly. And uh, then from a market risk perspective, the way we approach trading is is really from sort of managing the left tail of the distribution. And the idea, I guess, is that that if we we have a future sort of distribution of of, of uh, returns, which is has a mean, which is the volatility, the, the sort of volatility of the returns. That distribution also has a left tail, and uh, the classical way of managing to volatility means that you have to make an assumption on the distribution to to get a picture of the left tail, and. Um, in our case, we sort of switch it around and we just focus on the left tail and then we let the shape of the distribution or the design of the distribution determine what the outcome volatility is. So our volatility varies more and uh, the left tail management is what we focus on. So we always, for each position and for the portfolio as a whole, we run um, extensive simulations of possible future price moves in each and every individual instrument to figure out the worst case scenario and then we sum up all the worst case scenarios for positions and that sort of defines our worst case outcome. Sort of assuming that when when shit really hits the fan then we will lose on every single position and we need to 
need to control that for that event. So that's 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 sort of the risk. We we call it the, call it the Achilles risk, the Achilles heel. That of we course, have to yeah. Keep track of. And 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 even through this different environment since 2009, have you found that this approach, which clearly is something that comes from your your history, as you mentioned, uh, that this approach um, is is giving you the same results or profile uh, as before uh, 2009? Yeah, I, I certainly say would say it, it has and. Well, just in 2009, when when liquidity dried up and correlations really, you know, stepped up to a new level because of all the deleveraging that took place and and so on. I mean, then then uh, that risk uh, sort of a management approach, I guess, was less effective because we already it assumes high correlations in the mm. various stressful scenarios. So. You know, I we certainly think it's it's worth the way expect it's we've expected, and you know it's delivered the results that we've we wanted it to do. But it hasn't sort of helped us in performing well in a in a very challenging market environment. Sure, and and to the investors nowadays, Martin, with all of your experience, I mean, what's the best way for investors to look at risk in a traditional CTA is there anything they can do in order to visualize risk meaning you know is there a rule of thumb that you would use when you look at a track record and you say hmm it has such and such volatility so you should expect such and such worse drawdown is there anything you found that gives people uh, a good uh, rule of thumb in in that in that sense well I would I would probably advise people to analyze it really from the perspective of which periods or months maybe that are quite different from other managers and from others sort of representatives of the particular style and then try to really understand why it is so different mm. and uh, so that's something I would I would focus on then when it comes to the whole operation and uh, the business, I would also look into how stable the organization is expected to be and how, where people find the inspiration to work and <laughs> how <laughs> driven they are by by money and how they are driven by other factors. And I think this is something that is is really underestimated today and I think will be more and more important going forward when people analyze managers and try to understand the dynamics of sure yeah no i think there's uh, definitely some some questions i'd love to uh, go uh, a little bit deeper with you uh, uh, in in a few minutes um, because i think you have a a very clear view on these things that you may not come across that often uh, in in our industry just as a final point on the risk management is it possible to say or to give a number I mean, not a specific number, but a ballpark number in terms of how much risk you actually take on any one opportunity. Is there a kind of a range where you would say that's actually how little, quote unquote, we risk in any one opportunity? Well, I think uh, um, on average, we might risk something like 50 basis points on a trade. Okay. 
because this number i think will surprise a lot of people um i think they look at cta track records often and they see the volatility and and maybe they're not actually appreciating that uh, the individual risk on on any one market opportunities is, is is generally quite small so uh, so i appreciate that now part of risk management is of course to avoid drawdowns but drawdowns are inevitable and in fact in our industry or in the cta industry i should say we spend most of the time being in a in a drawdown so <laughs> i wondered if you could uh, take a little bit of time and 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 talk to me about that uh what 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 do we learn from being in drawdowns and and also maybe talk a little bit about if you've seen any kind of difference between the drawdowns uh, prior to 2009 and the drawdowns after 2009 because clearly it, the industry as a whole has suffered more and uh, certainly some managers have seen quite a big expansion in the drawdown profile uh, in the last few years, even if they'd been around for 20, 30 years uh, prior to this. So talk to me a little bit about that, if you would. Well, uh, certainly, and I, I would, I would come back to the volatility environment that we discussed in the beginning of the conversation. Sure. And and really, sort of again, uh, say that the fall in this volatility that has a very high correlation with the returns has been so extreme during this period. And I think this is this is the reason for the deep drawdown and for the prolonged drawdown. And I think this is what has taken many investors by surprise and also many managers by surprise and obviously we saw um, the volatility being at the highest level um, in in very very long time in 2008 and looking at it from this perspective this is the time where one should not have bought CTAs but that's where most well, quite a few investors got involved with CTAs and They've now been just experiencing this steep fall, and uh, you know they've been quite disappointed with the returns, and and um, maybe don't understand why. But but uh, quite a few people have obviously redeemed, and you know are not going to look at the space for a while. But but again, I think that this is the the main driver of the drawdown and the drawdown profile of this period and again it poses also a great opportunity right now and uh, th this is the biggest difference from from the past and you know when when you analyze everything from this perspective it doesn't look all that strange at all and in fact the drawdown has been <laughs> believe it or not lower than what one would have expected in this environment probably pointing to the fact that managers have become better and better at managing risk and managing drawdowns but so if we if we just stay with this theme for a little bit and and um, now we've you know maybe you and i have not been in the industry long enough to have experienced this before but clearly it would have happened before if we go back uh, even more decades um, but knowing what we know today do you think that there is something you found uh, during this time that the next time it happens would put you in a stronger position to 
maybe even profit from an environment like this? Or is it just one of those things that these kind of strategies, you know, just can't do well in? No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot that has been learned during this one. And, you know, if, if nothing else, I would, I would sort of advise investors to sort of balance the volatility exposure based on, on the environment. And, you know, when in, in a situation where volatility is really high and it's going to come down, obviously there are short volatility strategies, but many, many investors don't even want to touch those but blending but blending in some of that would certainly help out and then you know it's hard to be long only in, in an environment like that so being more on the stable long-term long side in risky assets is also a good good way of coping with uh, mm. with um, a situation like that but if you look more at our particular strategy which is really meant and will remain very sort of pure in its profile, um, I, I guess we will, if we see such a huge increase in volatility and then a steep in falling volatility, then we will either need to change our approach, which I doubt we will do too much, but certainly we will make some adjustments so that the um, situation like this will be smoother next time. Sure. Whether we will see it during the next 20 years or not, I don't know, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's not unlikely, but uh, it's certainly the the previous similar event was in '74. You, you know, it's 40 years ago. So, well, let's hope, Martin, that we will have that conversation in 20 years' time, <laughs> even if we have a few more gray hairs uh, to yeah, share. If have, see if we have any hair. <laughs> oh, any hair, indeed. Now, um, you talked a little bit about it early on in our conversation, namely the emotional roller coaster that um, we all go through during times of drawdowns, uh, not just because of performance, it could also be the pressure that uh, uh, that we see from investors, uh, etc. Tell me a little bit about how you balance that. I know you touched upon it a little bit, but just uh, because I think that that is one of those things that will be really helpful for people both on the investor side, but also for people who are uh, maybe somewhat early in their career and maybe they're going through their first really long drawdown at this stage. And um, so just talk to me a little bit about how what you found over the years tend to work uh, for you to not be discouraged by by these situations. <laughs> well, yeah, that's see how it's... it's uh... The, the risk is that, is that the answer will be very, very long on that one, but <laughs> if I really try to cut it down and sh shorten it, I would, I would certainly stress uh, a few things. And the first being that of, of really understanding what the drivers are in the business. I have a clear picture of what it is that the strategy is doing and what drives the strategy and, and, and then relate what's going on to the actual environment and, and, Based on that, judge whether you're doing a good job or whether you're delivering what you promised to your investors or or whether your manager is delivering what he is supposed to deliver if you're an investor. And, and uh, 
really mirror it against what's really going on and what's what to expect. And if you're if you sort of have that well defined and clearly sticking to your plan, sticking to your game plan, and and doing what you're supposed to do, and you cannot argue that to everybody, to yourself, to your partners, your employees, your your clients, your investors, then at least for me, that makes life a whole lot easier. Sure. And um, I guess we humans, what typically causes the most sort of emotional pain has to do with some sort of, some form of being afraid. And uh, the more you understand of what you're doing and the more you're disciplined in what you're doing, the less you have to be afraid of <laughs> what's going to happen, what's going to, what the future is going to bring. And just stick to your plan and be very disciplined uh, and be very clear, very transparent in what you're trying to achieve and what you're, what it is that you're doing. Then I, I think that's been, at least for us, it's been extremely helpful within the communication with the investors. And, uh, you know, you can, uh, if you do a good job on that, then you can actually gain a lot of confidence from all your, both investors and your partners and your employees, and you know you can strengthen your case. Sure. So, I, I I think that's sort of understanding what you're trying to accomplish and, and stick to your plan is is really important. And uh, then on a more personal level, again, you know we're emotions play a big part in our daily lives and every decision we make, every every sort of thought we have. And, you know, it's, um, it's, it's important to separate the emotion from the rational thinking. And it, if you can keep those two separate, I'm not saying that it's easy, but that's certainly something that one can practice. And uh, if one can sort of keep those apart, then it's so much easier to deal with it as well. And that's really reduces both stress and concern and you know maybe even makes it easier to to see things as they really are and make their judgments based on that so i think that's that's sort of the two main main parts a bit philosophical but that's how i view it <laughs> no it's important i mean i think it is important to uh, to to get this and, and 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 get a little bit deeper because these are the things that you know, maybe a lot of people are not asking when they come to see you because maybe they don't want, you know, maybe they don't dare asking you these questions. But I think what you're saying, and I think this is an important point, is that being a rule-based or systematic trader actually also fits very well into what you're saying because it allows you to maybe in an easier way to separate the emotional side from the pragmatical implementation disciplined implementation of the investment strategy and maybe at the end of the day this is why we still see firms in this particular industry having been around for more than 30 40 years and still going strong yeah fully agree fully agree now on a more positive side uh, research that's always a fun topic so I would love to. Uh, I would love to hear a little bit about how you go about research. Um, what's a typical research cycle, if there is such a thing? Uh, what does it look like, um, and what you're looking for 
in your uh, reviews because I guess investors want you to innovate and make research all the time. On the other hand, not all investors like change. So how do you balance that? <laughs> yeah, well, well the, the research process certainly is continuous, but it's not very, it's not as innovative every day as uh, some of the other days. So sure. it, it varies, but basically it's it's continuous all the time and you know it's it's extremely important to do that but when it comes to our approach we really take the view that we we only research phenomena and drivers that we understand from a sort of fundamental or philosophical perspective and um, although we have a lot of very very talented very strong academics on the team phds in different areas we we do not do a lot of sort of quantitative number crunching. We we sort of more driving our our research based on phenomena and and drivers that we see in the market that we think we have a clear understanding of why we could make money of them and why they would be benefit beneficial for the portfolio. And then we then we do use strong quantitative methodologies to implement them and, and test them and do everything we can just to over uh, avoid overfitting of, of the models and when when you when you asked about the research cycle and, and uh, implementation I mean in our case you know we can sit on ideas for quite some time before we start implementing them typically they can you know it can take couple of years before an idea gets to really a, a point where we start looking at implementing it uh, from from the initial idea and um, sometimes it goes quicker but but typically we are very slow in in implementing them testing them really thoroughly first of all small with small risk and then gradually increasing and um, really making sure that we have analyzed everything over the whole economic cycle or several economic cycles to see that it's robust and that it's something that will work over time and over many many markets and it's just optimized for a particular situation you know i think typical cases you know we saw this in 2007 a lot of strategies got adapted to a lower volatility environment and then they blew up in 2008 and you know looking at how some of the really popular strategies right now how they are also geared i'm afraid a little bit to the quite recent environment and if the environment changes then one really want to make sure that the strategy is tested properly so that it doesn't cause any surprises then when the, when, the, when the environment changes around quite a bit so sure and but and speaking about surprises but generally i think also it it falls under research how do you how do you notice if something that's already inside the model stops working or at least st stops working the way you you expected it to work kind of a a yellow or a red flag how how does that because that's a 
that's a difficult thing certainly mm. in my experience how how do you how do you go about that and well maybe you haven't had to deal with it in in in, in many instances well certainly i mean we've we've had uh, red flags flash and we've had to take action and um, it's hard to give a general answer to that uh, uh, because so many of the components and and pieces are quite different from each other and I guess it has to do with having a clear understanding of what it is that one is trying to achieve and whether the premises for that is are, are still in place and if that changes then one needs to take action. Mm. Like, say we had a, a one a short-term strategy in one particular market that did extremely well for a while and we, we we increased the risk to that and we had to really monitor the slippage and the profile of those trades and and at some point we, it turned out that you know we had become a bit too big in that market for that type of strategy and the market had learned what we were doing and you know the profitability really dropped quickly and then we had to very, take very quick action to reduce exposure to that particular particular model but that the, the shorter you go in your trading um, the shorter the half-life of the models and the longer the models i guess the easier it is to to see them as robust and not having to react to them sure now i would like to leave the subject of sort of the the technical side so to speak and and move to just a couple of other sort of uh, areas um, uh, in our discussion and um, one of the areas is just more looking at you know the the business side or the the and 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 slash the the industry as a whole um, and I wanted to ask you something that has co- sort of recently come to my own attention um, talking to some of uh, your peers who have been around for uh, quite a long time and that is succession planning. Um, some of the people that I have had on have been already going through their business succession plan uh, such as Don Capital for example and Sunrise Capital Partners. Is this something that you've started to think about having spent more than 20 years doing this or is that not something that is quite on your radar just now well it's been a target for quite some time to make myself completely useless in the office (laughs) (laughs) or unnecessary is probably the more english word and you know i have seven really great partners and they can run the business without me and um, the way we are structured today is that I have a CEO that runs the business and COO runs the operations and the financial side, risk manager and then portfolio managers. And really, my I'm, I'm just trying to help out where I can and perhaps bring some inspiration and and uh, lead the team to some extent and then help out with the research and ideas and. But really, my my role is more that of helping out rather than leading and driving uh, at this stage. So we we've, we've worked with this for already for a long time, and it's 
doing really, really well. And some of the other guys are, they are so much more efficient and they are so much more capable and, you know, I don't want to stand in their way and, uh, you know, try to try to do things that they do. Sure. Equally sure. Well. So, you know, it's been very natural and, you know, if I, if I wouldn't go into the office next week, you know, they wouldn't hardly notice. <laughs> um, now, we've touched upon a couple of times during this uh, conversation about the, the industry as a whole and and the change in environment, which has certainly put some stress on on uh, the CTA industry. Um, what's the biggest challenge for your firm now, do you think? Where do you see the biggest, um, I wouldn't say struggles, but what's the biggest challenge in an, in a situation like this? Well, I think certainly the, the fact that, that the drawdown has been long and investors are turning away from the strategy. Uh, I guess that's that's a big challenge, and you know it will it will change. But you know it's just a matter of when. And the, from a running the business perspective, it's just to make sure that we run the business according to the environment and and are exposed according to this, so that we'll certainly be as fit as possible when it turns around and investors will again turn back. But um, another thing that that is quite noticeable is the fact that. Investors, in particular, the sort of largest investors, they listen to the consultants, and the consultants they seem to have a quite short list of managers that they favor, and they only favor the really big names. And uh, so there's a big consolidation going uh, going on um, right now. But um, we see that cycle already changing. A lot of investors sure. sort of start to look for diversifying strategies and other other approaches and notice that some of the managers get really get quite large and that it's good to find other sort of names that they can build into the portfolio but that certainly has been sort of the trend as we know very strong consolidation and and um, the consultants improve or increase the role of the consultants with new, a lot of new new big investors coming into the market. And markets uh, have, you know, been driving this development. And I think that's another challenge. But it's natural. It happens in any business. And um, we just have to adapt to that and live with it and make sure that we can be innovative and show that we can add value to the investors and I think that will work out in the long run. And and speaking about investors and, and maybe investor types, um, I mean, during your career, you've been in hundreds of due diligence meetings and conversations. What do you find that investors are not asking you that they should be asking in doing their due diligence? Well, certainly, certainly sort of the the sources of inspiration for the team how the how the organization is sort of finding its innovation energy and uh, how it sticks together and what the what role does sort of the culture play the corporate culture i don't a lot of the due diligence meetings have been so technical and 
focused around things that are quite obvious and evident in mm. today's technology and today's structures and regulation. They are quite quite sort of stable in most cases, but very few people understand that the sort of more corporate culture piece of, of, of the equation, which I think is is very important. So I, I would certainly put that as number one in terms of where sure. I think the questions are going to go in the future. Sure. And, and what do you find that investors have the most difficulty in understanding regarding these kind of strategies? Because as you say, clearly they ask a lot of technical questions, but do they really understand the answers they get, do you think? <laughs> I think there's quite a few investors that have a struggle with the, the, the actual drivers of the strategy, and which is natural. I mean, it's it's not easy to get to grasp it. And these strategies are, in many ways, not intuitive. They, on the contrary, they're a bit counterintuitive in in, in how they work and when they work, and you know it. That makes it difficult for, for investors to grasp. It's so much easier to listen to a story about uh, why a company is cheap and why, why it's valuable and why one should buy a particular stock or why one should sell a stock, you know, from a fundamental perspective. That's so much easier to understand than trying to look into the drivers of the relationship between shorter-term volatility and longer-term volatility and how that expands and how that is mean diverting and and uh, the statistical sort of uh, parameters around that. And so uh, I, I think I think that that's that, uh, that's something investors are struggling with. But uh, you know, it's all up to us uh, how we can communicate it. We need to be become better and better, and being able to educate and illustrate what we're trying to say so that they understand it. So. One should definitely not blame the investors. One should just look in the mirror and and uh, make sure that one can improve on that part as well. Yeah, and I think you know it's partly what I want to achieve with doing these uh, uh, these podcasts because I think that in many respect, uh, when we sit down and we have these meetings, most, if not all, the conversation is all about how we do things and what we do in the first place. But actually. One question that I've never been asked is why you do it, <laughs> and 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 I think actually that's probably the most important uh, question, and it goes a little bit towards your point about culture, drivers, um, vision, and and so if people don't understand why we do what we do, you know, it's perhaps difficult to understand what and and how. Yeah, very good point, Niels, and I think you're you're doing a great job with this podcast and. And I'm sure that that uh, some of the interviews that you're going to make are going to be extremely helpful for for listeners and for investors and maybe for managers as well. Sure. Well, let's certainly hope so. Last topic uh, that I wanted to touch upon before we we finish, or the last sort of uh, section, um, is what I call general and fun. So something which is a little bit uh, away from the. Uh, the typical uh, questions that uh, people might ask. But the first thing I wanted, which is basically just tapping into your experience, and that is, in your view, what does it really take 
to become a good trader slash, in your case, CTA? What are the key traits that you need to have in order to succeed? <laughs> well, that's a very, very good question and a very important one to think about for everybody. But I, I think it goes not just for trading, it goes for anything. And that is that you really have to have passion for what you're doing. You really have to enjoy it. And um, if you do that, whatever it is that you do, then then you'll become, then you'll get good at it. But uh, you won't get good at it un un unless you really work hard. And in most cases, it really takes hard work. And you can accomplish that hard work with uh, the energy you get from from passion, from being passionate about what you do. Mm. And um, I think that's that's the most important thing. And uh, for anybody starting out in the business or being in the business, uh, every day ask yourself, is this what you really want to do? Mm. Or is this something you do because somebody else thinks it's cool or it's great or you maybe you do it just before because you want to make money and even that could be dangerous because you could easily lose your <laughs> to drive from making money either you don't want to make money anymore or or maybe you made enough money or whatever but i i think it it takes something more than just a willingness to make money sure. one really has to be fascinated about from the financial markets and you know the fact that they are it's a new day every day and there's new excitement every day and you can never sort of solve the problem of how to trade them completely. You can always sort of find a good approximation of uh, with your strategies and, and you can always improve. Sure, absolutely. Now, I have a feeling I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And that is, is there any personal habit that you have that you believe has contributed to your success? No. <laughs> oh, Niels. Uh, I, I guess one has to be stubborn and persistent and, and uh, like to do, like to work hard. <laughs> and um, I would have guessed you would have said your meditation, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, that comes, that came on a bit later. Okay. Yeah, I've only been, been involved with that for seven, eight years. And. <laughs> Certainly, it's helped a lot. Sure, and, you know. Uh, again, I, I think that the the drivers in the market is our human mind, and the way we design our systematic strategies are, you know, in a way, it's just sort of as you already said yourself, you know, to take out the emotional part of it. And mm. if you can be systematic and you can um, rely on your game plan not on your emotions then you have a bit of an advantage and you know that goes with everything sure and sure. Uh, so yeah. now you've been along around for a long time uh, martin and so there's been ups successes victories but i'm sure there's also been times where you would say um you failed maybe you didn't use that word but where things didn't pan out exactly as you hoped or planned what's been your biggest and I use the word failure, um, but where, where do you think you failed along the road and, 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 and what did you learn from it? Because failure, I think, is probably often the things we learn the most from. Yeah, of course. I mean, you're right. You're right. And, you know, obviously I've failed many times and there are many things that could have been done better, but uh, 
but uh, you know it's one thing to learn is to always sort of analyze whatever happened and try to improve and then make sure that you you when you've taken that out of it then just leave it behind and go forward and look forward and, and you know try to do it better next time and uh, it's hard to pull out any particular sort of concrete example that sure uh, because it's hard to put it in its right context um, in a short period of time but you know clearly dealing with your failures is one of the most important things uh, in any business and uh, learning from them and then just going on and keeping your your eyes on the horizon and looking forward and um, make sure you don't do the same mistake twice Absolutely. Martin, yeah. did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? You seem to have been an entrepreneur pretty much from the beginning of your career. Was that always yeah. something you knew? <laughs> no, I can't say so. No, <laughs> I never had a, a, a normal job, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm not sure I would be fitting in a big organization either. So, no, I didn't. I didn't know that. But clearly, my family have been entrepreneurs and there's a lot of entrepreneurs around me, so I've always, it's been it's been very very natural for me, and you know I enjoy it. There's one of the one of the one of the best things about being an entrepreneur is that you can choose the people you work with, yeah. and uh, they are such an important piece of of life. And you know you spend such a lot of time on at at the office and 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 working. So you you know if you can have you know, great people around you, then that's really important. And I, I've been extremely fortunate in that part. And, you know, without the team and without the great friendship and all the inspiration and energy you get from the people you work with, it's, you you wouldn't last, last too long. And, you know, it's it's uh, one of the most important pieces of, of the business is to build a team and in a proper way and file the right find the right individuals and then try to try to jointly find the inspiration for what you do and make sure that you share certain values and not just among your US individuals but also share those values as a firm and if you get the values between the individuals to fit uh, in a certain way and in particular if you get the company values to fit the individual values then you you find a lot of inspiration and a lot of fun and it's very easy to work together and in particular in difficult times so that is so true that is so true now we're almost there martin but i just uh, wanted to ask you as well if you were starting over today based on all of the things you've learned is there anything in particular you would do differently oh <laughs> <laughs> or is that or is that another one of those long answers that we yeah <laughs> the list is long well, you know a lot of small technical details or, or certainly could have been done differently and sure. many, many things you be I need to be very humble about your 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 sort of shortcomings but I guess the big picture you know I, I always love what I did and you know I love what I do and I'm really passionate about the business and the markets and you know the organization so in the big picture, I wouldn't do it much differently, no. But sure. a lot of small things that could have been done better. Now, if you could ask one of your peers, for example, the next guest that I have on Top Traders Unplugged, if you could ask them a question, 
what would that be? Oh, <laughs> what would that be? Uh, well, I guess <laughs> it would be very interesting to hear sort of their story and and uh, their drivers and their inspiration and motivation and yeah. you know that would lead to tens or hundreds of questions. Sure, I you know. I, I guess it would probably have to do with with uh, where they find the inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's 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 a very important area you you've touched upon today, and and not many people uh, go in that direction. So I I I really appreciate that. Now, uh, my last question to you, Martin, and and again, you've actually already shared some some uh, personal things which could qualify to this answer as well, but. I always tend to ask um, if our or my guest could tell us a fun fact about themselves that is not usually known by other people. <laughs> so you want to have some fun fact about me? Yeah, if, if you have one that you can think about that uh, other people might not know about you, that could be fun. <laughs> And if you don't, that's fine as well. Yeah, well, well, on the top of my mind right now is this sail racing and, you know, running a sail team of individuals where, you know, everybody has to make a lot of commitments and efforts to be there every day. And I, I demand a lot of from them and, you know, what is it that make them come every day and what is it that make me go there every day sure um i don't know it's no it's it's um it has to do i guess with with really trying to be devoted and and inspired in what you do and but the funny thing is <laughs> i don't know if it's fun but for me it's it just comes somewhere and i often don't understand why I do it and why <laughs> where the inspiration and energy comes from. It just appears. Sure. And, uh, you know, I wonder, maybe I figured it out one day, but you know, I, we have a saying here in uh, where we are that, that you, you have a, a big fire under your ass and that's why you're running around all the time, like a maniac and <laughs> the fire I have under my ass is certainly a little bit too big. Sure. Of, <laughs> well then in that situation it's a good thing to be in the water at least uh, then at least the, the fire is contained to some extent yeah that's for sure now uh, before we finish our conversation i really do appreciate all the time you've given uh, given us today where's the best place that uh, our listeners people who want to learn more about estland and partners where's the best place to reach out to you and and learn more about uh, your firm Well, come and visit us. Everybody's welcome. We're open arms, either in Helsinki and in Vasa, or on our webpage. And uh, why not drop me an email or give me a give me a bus? Sure, anything goes. Whatever technical uh, media or or way one prefers, we're always here. Fantastic. So. We'll make sure that uh, all of the information will be on the show notes page of. Uh, of uh, this episode of uh, Top Traders Unplugged. And, and thank you so much, Martin. Thank you for your 
generosity with your time and and thank you for for sharing your and being open about your own experiences and and insights about your firm your strategy and and of course our industry as a whole i i thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, i hope we can connect at a later date and 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 get some updates on all the great work uh, you do and um, yeah and i wish you all the best of luck with your uh, sailing and the competitions you're heading into later this uh, this summer yeah well thank you Niels. it's been a pleasure talking to you i think it's a great thing you're doing and uh, certainly very very good questions and inspiring questions so thank you very much it was you're, a great pleasure you're very welcome okay. take care and all yeah. the best yeah you do thank Bye. you Thanks for listening to Top Traders Unplugged. If you feel you learned something of value from today's episode, the best way to stay updated is to go on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show so that you'll be sure to get all the new episodes as they're released. We have some amazing guests lined up for you. And to ensure our show continues to grow, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. It only takes a minute and it's the best way to show us you love the podcast. We'll see you next time on Top Traders Unplugged.